Hey everyone, it's Coach Megan, and I'm so excited that you're with us today listening to this episode of the Powerhouse Podcast. I have to say, I know I say this all the time, but today I am so incredibly excited for y'all to listen to this. I can't even tell you. I had the honor and privilege of interviewing actually one of my Miss USA sisters, Justice Enlow, who is the current Miss Tennessee USA 2020. We'll be heading to Miss USA together later this fall. No, we don't know the time yet or the date or the place. We will let you know as soon as we are allowed to. We don't even know yet ourselves. But today, Justice and I just had such an amazing conversation about the things that she's passionate about. What a lot of y'all didn't get to see is that she and I actually had to cut the episode short to only like 30 minutes because we were talking for like an hour and a half before (laughs) and wasted all of our podcast time just hanging out. I know that she'll be a lifelong friend of mine. She has so much wisdom to offer you guys. And so please settle in wherever you're at today, your car, getting ready in the morning for this incredible podcast episode with none other than Miss Tennessee USA 2020, Justice Enlow. Well, hello, everyone. Um, I'm so excited for this episode. I am here with Miss Justice Enlow. She is Miss Tennessee USA in the same class as me, 2020 this year. We're so excited to have you on the podcast today, Justice. Thanks for being here. I am so glad that I could do this, and we've already been talking and having a good time, so I'm like, yes, so excited for this podcast. (laughs) Guys, we literally only have like 30 minutes today because uh, we've been talking for an hour, (laughs) and I have it, so we'll probably do a part two later, but you guys are going to get to know her really well today. She's phenomenal. We connect on so many different levels, and I just... I even love uh, the prophetic nature of your name, just being Justice. I'm an Enneagram 8, as a lot of my listeners know. And so Justice is like the way that I'm wired. Um, So just why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, and then I have a follow-up question already, even just about your name, and I want to hear your thoughts. But tell us a little bit about yourself to start off. Yeah, so I um, am 26 years old, and I was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. And then my family is all in ministry, and... Um, so we moved around a lot. I've lived in four different states and I think 13 different cities. Um, so I lived in California and I competed in pageants there for a little while. And then last year, my family relocated to Nashville, Tennessee, and I love it. It's it's interesting because I moved there because I needed to relocate. Um, and now I'm like, this is this is my home. I, I love it so much. And so I work for my parents who, I, like I said, they're in ministry. I do all their media and branding and they've got several nonprofits that they run. And so I do that for several nonprofits. And then I also have a nonprofit that I started called Justice for Women. Yeah. And also this is so terrible. My laptop just told me it's about to die. So I'm going to grab my charger and just plug it in really fast. No problem. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> <laughs> We're back. Awesome. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about um, why you started Justice for Women, uh, what it is, and also how do you feel like the like being named the word justice has been rightfully uh, or wrongfully incorporated into your existence and into your life? Yeah, so I started Justice for Women about two and a half years ago, and originally it was called Positive Period. I suffered from endometriosis for 10 years before receiving a diagnosis. And for those of you who don't know, endometriosis affects at least one in 10 women. They say it's closer to to 40 or 50% of women. Um, And it's one of the top three most painful diseases in the world. And so I I had these symptoms going on and this extreme pain that I was living in and nobody could figure out what was going on. And so finally I just spent a couple months researching because I was stuck in my bed 
And I was like, I think this is what I have. And I was able to find a specialist and God provided the finances. Um, I had to raise $40,000 to cover my surgery because health insurance won't pay for it. Wow. And so to me, this is a huge justice issue. The fact that this is a, something that's affecting maybe almost half of, of women on earth. Um, it affects more women than even diabetes. And yet so many people don't know about it. And the diagnosis takes 10 years is the average amount of time it takes to get diagnosed with it. And on top of that, um, then once you know, insurance won't cover the, the actual treatment that will put you into remission. So I've been in remission for two years and all my numbers are really good and I feel amazing. And that's not the story for most women with endometriosis. Most of the time it is a life sentence of pain. And so I started Positive Period as a way to raise awareness about the, the treatment that I had, which is called wide excision and to encourage high school and college age women to go ahead and find out if they have it or not, because most of the time they're waiting until it's um, interrupting their lives to pursue a diagnosis. And by then they've often lost their fertility and a lot of the quality of life. And so if you can get a diagnosis early on and you can get that excision surgery early on, um, you can really get your life back. So positive period was was started with that intention in mind, and over the last couple of years, you know, like I'm just passionate about all things justice. So I really do feel like my name was prophetic, and I think part of it is just having like a word spoken over you your entire life. I think that has an effect on you, and our names really like do affect us. And so I've always been passionate about seeing injustices righted, and especially with women and children. Um, I'm very passionate about the family. And part of the reason that I'm so passionate about fighting endometriosis is that it affects women's fertility. And I think that that's one of the most fundamental rights women should have is the ability to have a child if they, if they want to. And so um, I, sorry, I just totally lost my train of thought. Anyway, so this, this is kind of the inspiration behind Justice for Women, but it's, it's more than just about endometriosis now. Um, we are working on a healthcare grant right now that will help cover the cost of that surgery because obviously most people don't have, you know, twenty dollars to $40,000 um, sitting around to pay for a surgery out of pocket. Mm. So we're working on that grant, but also, you know, um, I'm really passionate about connecting people with adoption resources and getting people involved with foster care. We have such a need for... Um, foster families who really love children instead of doing it just for the money. And so there's anything having to do with family and women um, is really things that are going to fall under the umbrella of justice for women, but we are focused on endometriosis at this time. Yeah, I love that. Um, I am extremely passionate about foster care as well. And to this day, <clears throat> I'm very surprised that my family never went into foster care. Um, officially, although we always have pretty much had some of the extra living at our house, like my entire life. I mean, several times my parents were the phone call, even from prison when people were messing up and needed a phone call. And my parents welcomed them with open arms. And I think very similarly, just being raised in a family of ministry, um, we just naturally have that lens. And we're so, um, I know I'm so grateful to be raised in a family that was a family unit and had the privilege of being a full family unit. And uh, I can't even imagine what it would feel like to have the burden of a, needing a $40,000 surgery. So why do you think that this has gone so unnoticed so far? And, and other than maybe a grant, or maybe it is just a grant, um, is there anything happening in legislation right now? Or what would be your next step of what you think should happen? 
Yeah, so one of the reasons that this is happening, and this is kind of the justice issue behind it, um, is that there are governing bodies behind what treatments are, are considered medically necessary um, and what treatments aren't. And if something is not medically necessary, your insurance won't cover it. So the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, they determine um, what doctors need uh, as far as course credits in order to be a board certified doctor. Um, and so they're not requiring doctors, OBGYNs, to have more than one credit hour of education on endometriosis. So I know more about endometriosis than most gynecologists who are allowed to call themselves an endometriosis specialist and who can give you a surgery for endometriosis have. So I think that's wrong. I don't think that a patient should know more about a specialty than a specialist does. Um, and part of the reason is that what they're taught um, in medical school is that they, the treatment for endometriosis is uh, hormonal birth control. Because if you can shut down your periods, then the idea is to, to, to level out your hormones so that you're not having estrogen spikes every month like you would with your period. Um, therefore, you're not causing this tissue to grow because basically this tissue responds to estrogen. Mm. The problem is that um, it produces its own estrogen. Sorry, we're getting like a little sciencey here. So endometriosis produces its own estrogen. So even if you shut down your cycles and you shut down your um, hormones completely, it's creating its own hormones and you can't shut that down because it's not controlled by the endocrine system. So this is something that most doctors don't know. Most gynecologists don't know. And so when I went into the doctor and I said, I have endometriosis, I know this is what it is. The doctor said, it doesn't even matter. Everybody with painful periods is given the same thing. Um, and there are a couple different diseases that fall under this painful period category. And another one is polycystic ovarian. And this is another issue that affects so many women that they can't get diagnosed or treated because doctors are just putting people on hormonal birth control. And this benefits the, the pharmaceutical industry because if you have a woman who believes that she is stuck on the pill for the rest of her life or else she's going to be in pain, um, that's constant money you have coming in. Whereas a surgery um, is not going to make very much money for the pharmaceutical industry or for it. it there, there's, it, there's not money in a, in a one-time surgery, you know? And so um, I'm really hoping to see more legislation proposed for requiring, um, I, I'm more conservative politically, so I don't like requiring things <laughs> like from a, um, a law. <laughs> but maybe having a reconsideration of, um, of if this is medically necessary or not, because I think that it is medically necessary if it's affecting someone's mental health at such a, um, at such a strong level. You know, recently we had someone in the endometriosis community who committed suicide. This is something that happens frequently because of how painful the disease is. Or we have women who have endo who are getting addicted to opioids, and we have this whole opioid crisis. Um, and and the government's answer to this has been to crack down on the distribution of opioids, but you really need that if you're living in pain. So there's just, there's so many pieces at play. Obviously the, the narrative that I've shared is just one piece of this puzzle. There is a lot more to it. It's hard to diagnose. You can't see it on any imaging. You can't see it on x-ray or ultrasound or anything. You have to be surgically opened up and looked at in order to see if you have it. And only some doctors are trained to to know what endometriosis tissue looks like. So there's a lot of pieces um, to this puzzle and I'm really hoping that we're gonna see um, 
just people's hearts turned. My goal is really to raise more awareness because I think that um, when something becomes super unpopular, that we see big companies in pharmaceutical industries bow into that. And so I think if we just start demanding this, um, they are going to make a change even without the law having to get involved. Yeah. Well, I think it's so cool that you have a platform as Miss Tennessee USA to be able to do this. And that's probably why you won is because my goodness, I feel like this is one of those things that once you know, you can't like not have compassion for this as a woman, like, Oh my gosh, all of us have felt at least a little bit of pain during that time of the month. I can't imagine the amount of pain that would literally be crippling, debilitating. And if it produced infertilization, like, are you kidding me? You know, as a woman, like, our heart has to go out to our sister where suddenly nothing else matters. And um, so I, I a hundred percent am behind you in this too. And, and my goodness, we all need to band together. Ironically, um, our Miss Missouri USA, I believe her sister has endometriosis and this is a huge thing that she's pushing for as well. So two out of the, I mean, look at that two out of the 51 of us already have this as their, as their platform. And I'm, I'm sure if we went through, all of us, we would have, I know a friend personally who actually just had surgery for endometriosis as well. And I think that we all could find a sister who had that story. Yeah. And there's so many women who, I mean, all of us have a friend who has what we would just call horrible periods. And a lot of times we don't realize how far reaching that pain is because I was in pain probably 20 days out of the month, but a lot of it I didn't even realize was not normal. A lot of the pain that you're in, you don't even notice it until it's gone. Wow. Um, it's interesting because I actually spoke with Miss Missouri USA, her sister, and um, gave her my doctor's information because there's only a few specialists in the world who do the surgery. Wow. And, and uh, it's so important to get surgery done by an excision specialist who has experience so that you can preserve your fertility if that's something that you want. And mostly just so that you can preserve the quality of your life. Um, yeah. I know I thought... I thought my dreams were over for a little while there. I was like, I literally can't do anything. And I have all these dreams and I have the passion. I have the wherewithal to like do this and I can't do it because I physically am unable. And, and having that moment, I was like, no, I don't want anybody else to feel this way. We need a solution. And yeah. so, yeah, hopefully we're going to continue to see more solutions coming up in the future. But for now, um, the surgery is a godsend. Yeah. So you said there are only a few specialists in the world that are trained in this endometriosis removal surgery. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. And do you know any statistics on, since this is affecting almost 50% of women, do you, and it's okay if you don't know this, but I'm curious, like how many classes normally do doctors have to take to learn about like heart disease and cancer, which like heart disease kills one in four people, right? Which could vaguely be said, okay, well, maybe that means one in eight women if you split it in half and then cancer. So if this is up there in terms of so many people struggling with it. Yeah. So two part question, talk to me a little bit more about the doctors that are actually involved in this. So I'd love to know more about that. And then do you know the amount of classes that regular doctors have to take for those other things? Yeah. So the, the typical surgery that's done for endometriosis is done by your regular gynecologist and um, somehow they're allowed to do surgery on you without very much education on this disease. And it's called ablation. And this is where they're taking um, some sort of laser or um, 
cauterizing tool and they're burning the top layer of the endometrial cells. So this is kind of the equivalent of you taking like fire to weeds in your garden. There's still the roots underneath. There's still so much of the plant underneath. Um, you're just getting rid of the visual problem and you're creating scar tissue actually. So excision is um, something that's done with uh, cancer patients as well. And you go in and you actually cut out healthy tissue around um, the endometrial cells as well. And so you have a pathologist in the operating room who is checking cells. So the doctor is cutting it out and they are checking it immediately, making sure that they come out with a clean sample before they stop removing the tissue. So it's a very extensive surgery. Um, I had about a six to eight month recovery. Wow. Which for having the rest of my life back is totally worth it. So yeah. these doctors who are training in these methods are doctors who have, this is their passion. This is, this, they're not just, um, you know, wanting to just have a career. This is their passion is helping women not be in pain or helping women get pregnant. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, they are some of the most special, special human beings that I've met. My surgeon was out of San Jose, California, and he's one of the most loving, humble, kind men, let alone doctors that I've ever met. And I felt so safe. And so um, I just felt like, like respected, like my body was respected and I don't often feel that way with doctors. And I felt like my opinion and my judgment was also important to him. Wow. And so I got calls about certain things um, that I was or wasn't okay with. Like I asked them to remove my appendix because if you get endometriosis in your appendix in the future, you might die because you just think that it's endometriosis. Wow. Um, so corruption. There's just things like that, that, that he like, let me make choices on that I loved. Um, there's another specialist out of Atlanta and they're called the Center for Endocare. They're amazing. The one in California is called Vital Health Endometriosis. Um, so there, those are the only two that I know by name, but I know that there are probably like six to eight more specialists because I'm in the endo community and I hear women talking about them. Um, but those are the only two that I know of that have like these amazing results that I've heard of. Mm -hmm. um, as far as specialties, I'm not sure how many credit courses like doctors have on these other um, special specializations. But I know that there's like a whole portion of their, I don't, I don't remember if it's called like the residency or which portion of it. There's a whole like portion of their education that is completely dedicated to this thing that they're learning about cardiology or neurology or um, whatever it is that they, they're focusing on. So I, I think it's a shame that this isn't talked about more, that this and polycystic ovarian are not talked about more and emphasized more when um, people become gynecologists. This is when they're supposed to be learning about this. And it's not the doctor's fault. It's the, the governing body who's deciding what they have to know. And I, we really need to see that changed um, and see doctors have more education on this yeah. because they're having to go out on their own and in, in their own time to learn about it and really have to give themselves to that um, if they want to have any sort of knowledge about endometriosis at this point. Wow. There's so much that I want to say about that, but for the sake of time, we can <laughs> save that for part two. So um, a little offshoot of this conversation, I love how you said earlier that you felt really safe um, despite it being a male doctor and despite being a very emotional thing that you're dealing with. So I know one of the things that we talked about that you're also really passionate about is redefining feminism and just what it means to be a feminist, what it means to be a woman. And so I'd love to hear just your overarching kind of perspective on that topic. Yeah, I heard a quote a couple months ago and I've sort of adapted it um, 
to my make it more special uh, specialized to my beliefs. But the quote is about um, true feminism is women being accepted and valued in every aspect of their personhood. And so I think the problem is that modern feminism has strayed away so far from the idea that um, fem like femininity even exists, which is ironic because it's called feminism and it's supposed to be about helping women um, be seen and valued in society. And so I feel like my redefinition is really just taking it back to the roots, which is that women deserve to be valued equally to men. We're not the same and we have different strengths and weaknesses that we bring to the table and different perspectives. And one of those things is our ability to create life and to have children. And I think that our society has been created around um, a male biology. Uh, that's our normal. Our normal is that someone is not going to be having a child, is not going to need maternity leave, is not going to need maybe time off if they have endometriosis and they can't work for a few days of the month. And so I think as a society, we need to see a change in valuing every aspect of who a woman is because we bring so many amazing things to the table and we have some challenges. And those challenges are that sometimes we need more flexible hours for working mothers and we need um, maternity and paternity leave. Uh, we need better childcare available. Mm. And we also, allowing people, I, I really think this quarantine is going to change a lot of this, but allowing people to work from home more because the family is so important. And when it's valued, um, it's not just going to be, feminism is not just for women, but feminism is going to make the world better for everyone. Yeah. It's not about bashing men. It's about partnering with them and seeing how our strengths coincide with their strengths and, and how together, like, we're going to make the world a better place, but it's going to take men and women together. Yeah. So that answers your question. It's always hard for me to dive into that topic because I have so much context in my head <laughs> surrounding this, this, this concept of, of redefining modern feminism. That's hard for me to like land it, but yeah, hopefully oh I've landed it. Yeah. 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 Passion points. My goodness. We could all, we could all talk about forever. So if, if the world adopted your version or that version, I guess, of feminism and re redefining feminism, what are some of the, the biggest ways that you think that the world would change? I think that the changes would go beyond anything that I can imagine. But some of the things that I've thought of are just... I know that our generation is, we're, we're considered to be like a very unhappy generation and we deal with mental illness at a very high level compared to previous generations and um, depression and anxiety. And I think so much of that is the breakdown of the family unit. And it doesn't even have to be, you know, a biological family unit. There are, there are friends that I consider family and there are, there's foster care, there's adoption, there's all these other things. But having a group of people in a community around you who love you unconditionally and who are bound to you, not because of your similarities, but just because of commitment to each other and because of love for each other. Um, I think we would see a huge change in that, a huge change in our generation's mental health and our happiness. Um, at the end of the day, like love makes us stronger. And so the more love you have in your life, the stronger we're all going to be, the more we're going to accomplish, um, the healthier our society is going to be. We're I think corruption would go down. I think that so many of the problems that exist in society, there would be um, solutions that would be coming forth because people are happier and people are stronger and more connected. And really that's the bottom line is like giving room in society for love and a value for love and relationships. Um, and I think that's 
obviously not all women are, you can't like say all women are a certain way, but I think in general women are nurturing and we are relationship focused. And so when that perspective is valued in society, like we're going to see those other problems start to diminish. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think about that all the time. And I, I was actually just listening to um, a TD Jake sermon this morning that was touching on parts of that and, and just fatherlessness in the home and but then motherlessness in the home as well. And mm-hmm. I think during this time of quarantine, it's been just a, a divine resetting. I think so many people have literally had to push the reset button on their lives and fathers who were working at, you know, a hundred hours a week or mothers who were working a hundred hours a week, busting their butt for their family, but maybe never got to have that connection time and maybe never even got to notice that those kids were suffering or that they were making bad decisions or, you know, just not even being able to have space and time for emotions to, to allow themselves to feel. And because we just live in American culture, which is go, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. And I mean, I'm wired that way naturally, just like my safe place is being a workaholic. Like literally, I love what I do. And so I'm very you know, thankful that I get to do that. But this has been an, an extremely humbling time for me even um, to have to slow down and to have to sit with your emotions and to have to ask yourself how you're doing and how you're feeling. And I just hope that, and it's impossible to tell, but I hope that we won't just go from zero to a thousand again once this is over. I mean, there will be some of that, obviously, because it's like, ah, oh, restaurant, you know, I think we'll be grateful, at least for a season of like the things that we can do. And I hope that there's a spirit of gratefulness, you know, in our country and in the world that's like, wants to hug somebody when you see them and that wants to like, give them a fist bump and greet someone at the door. You know, we're from the South and the Midwest where people like say hello to everybody. And it's weird if you don't, but I hope that the whole, the whole country and the whole world um, adopts that and that we can, you know, see each other as brothers and sisters and as humans rather than as Republicans or Democrats or Christians or non-Christians. I hope that this brings really the humanity back to humanity, uh, humanness back to humanity where we can all kind of have, you know, like they say, actually after war, where it's like, hey, we all got through this and every single one of us had to go through this. And whether you were black, white, Latino, whatever you were, gay, straight, whatever, we all had to go through this. And I hope that that brings a sense of love and unity together where we can look past our differences and and form community. That just makes me happy, but I really hope that for our nation. Me too. And the last thing I'll say about this is what you're saying reminded me of this, but I think that um, a lot of times employers or, um, I mean, we even see this in pageantry sometimes. There is uh, an idea that these close familiar bonds that we have with mother and child or um, someone with their significant other or with your siblings or whatever, that these bonds, um, we don't talk about them and that we like to keep them in the background when we are um, at work or doing events or whatever it is. Um, as if those things make us weaker. And it's the same thing I was saying, like I think love makes us stronger and a huge motivation for people in being successful in life are those relationships. And so to me, the more connected with those relationships, the better. If a woman has children, that should make her more hireable because she's someone who's going to work hard in order to be able to take care of her kids. And if someone has a significant other, I think that that's a good thing because 
this is a support system that they have, someone who's going to challenge them and encourage them to keep moving forward, or siblings or parents or whatever, like these relationships shouldn't be looked at as things that make us weaker or that make us less hireable. But I think that they're things that should be valued by companies and valued by organizations because um, really these are like the, the fabric of our society. They should be. <laughs> I think as that's emphasized, we're going to have a healthier society for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And I think it that's what's so great even about just boiling down to it, what we get to do as pageant women, um, which is certainly not our identity, but it's something that we get to do for a year. Um, and just for anybody who lis- who's listening or watching on social media who may have never met one of us or you're new to following us or have no connection to pageants, pageant women, I think, do pageants because there's something so innately that's lighting us on fire that we don't feel like we have an outlet for that pageantry gives us a voice to not only become the best versions of ourselves spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, but also gives us a pathway to direct and channel that passion into a way that we really see fit could, could explode. And um, I think that's such a beautiful thing that I just want people to realize is that we're not just a bunch of beautiful bimbos who want to walk in a swimsuit. That is an external representation of the incredible transformation that is necessary mm-hmm. and um, yeah, necessary to get to where we are today. And so um, I'd love for you just as kind of a final moment, thank you so much for speaking with me today about all this stuff. I think people are going to love to hear your perspective. And I hope that there's somebody listening, um, which there will be statistically, that gets to hear about just that there's an option for them. I have a couple people that I already have in mind that I want to send this to that I don't think yeah. have surgery yet. So that's really encouraging to me. But if you have any last words at all of just um, what you want to tell mostly the women who are listening, I'd love to hear your final thoughts. Yeah, first thing I want to remember, um, my website, if you're, if you're wanting resources for endometriosis or for other things with feminism, is justiceforwomen.us. Um, and or you can go to justiceinlo.com, they'll take you to the same place. And yeah, I, I just hope that um, no matter what you're facing, no matter what challenge you're facing in life, if it's a relational challenge, a physical challenge, um, financial issues, whatever it is that you know that you can still be influential, that you can still um, go for big dreams, that you can still go for the things, the dreams that God has put in your heart, the purpose that he's put in your heart, whatever that is, mm-hmm. don't let the around you determine if that's going to happen or not because if there's anything that I have learned in my life is that the key um, ingredient for success is not having everything perfectly laid out for you it is determination it is insisting um, and and having faith in the plan that God has for you even when things look like impossible around you mm-hmm. um, and so if that's endometriosis I hope that I can be a part of helping you find your solution and you can check out my website and get you connected with the doctor. I'm also always, you can message me on Instagram. I am not always good at responding because my messages filter, but I will eventually respond to you. (laughs) (laughs) I know how that is. I just found a message the other day from like two months ago and I was like, sorry, (laughs) like I promise I wasn't ignoring you. (laughs) Reminding me to check my filtered messages today. (laughs) There you go, go, guys. She'll be on checking today. So go message her. Well, thank you so much, Justice. Um, I'm sure that we will come back and do a part two. I'm sure that people will request that. And it's been such a pleasure talking to you. You're awesome. Thank, thank you. So you. I can't wait to meet in person at Miss USA. Yes.
Well, thanks so much for listening to this episode of season two of the Powerhouse Podcast. I'm Coach Megan. As always, you can follow me at Megan underscore Swanson. You can DM us to join our email list. You can follow us at Powerhouse Pageantry or at the Powerhouse Project. And I'm so excited to get to continue to pour into your life spiritually, physically, financially, emotionally, mentally, and relationally. Wow, that's a mouthful. In this beautiful year of 2020, never forget your worth, stand up for what you believe in, and allow your spirit to stand up on the inside of you to show you who you really are. Have a great day.